And today is an important day. Because today what we do in this hour and how we see ourselves in this time will have much to do with the future of this church. And I'll share more about that, but I, I, I want to move right into the message. We've been in the midst of a series entitled First, and the question has been asked of us, what would it look like if a church really put Jesus Christ in the top spot? How would we be different if we seriously said, Lord Jesus, you're number one? Our scripture verse has been Matthew 6.33 as a focus. Seek first the kingdom of God and, and God's righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And so our recognition is that there is competition for that number one spot. And a lot of that competition is good stuff. And I don't believe that we intentionally move idols into that number one spot cognitively saying consciously we're going to replace Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's kind of like sheep who graze themselves, him or herself, her sheep, whatever, away from the flock. It's a slow process. And I think what's important is that we recognition, uh, recognize that there is competition for number one place for our souls. And so that challenge has been before us. And the challenge is interwoven with what we're doing today. The Old Testament records uh, the greatest commandment. You'll remember the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to get Jesus in front of a crowd and they said, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so that challenge to love the Lord our God with all our strength, with all that we are, and even with all that we are not, is the challenge before us. And today is the commitment. We recognize there's, there's competition. We see the challenge before us. But today is a day of commitment. And I believe that is the hardest part. You know, we mentioned uh, the University of Georgia today and their football team. Team sports is a great word picture for the church, I think, in a lot of ways. In the, in the sense that a team will have goals. They'll have aspirations to do great. They may want to win so many games a season. They may want to get in a certain tournament. They may want to win a championship. But all of that has to do with how they prepare and their attitude and follow through. And a lot of it has to do with what happens in the offseason. And so today, we come on this Commitment Sunday recognizing that it is our prayer that we want to put God first. But how do we do that? Well, one is to recognize that we're in a covenant. We've made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And we've said, God, you have given 
all of yourself to us, we want to be in the process of giving all of ourselves to you. John Wesley said that was the difference between sanctification and salvation. Salvation is when I receive all of the grace of Jesus Christ through the work of the cross. And sanctification is where God gets all of me. And so today we commit ourselves to that process. And one of the things that, that we talked about this week is what is important to the most important one in our lives becomes important to us. In other words, being married to Delia, my wife, what is important to her has now become important to me. You with me? And what's important to me is at least a consideration for her. <laughs> it's on the table. But what's important to her? Mutually. What's important to each other? The other values. And the same thing when placing God first. We say, Lord, we love you. And what is important to you is important to us. So when we interpret this scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, we're saying, Lord, whatever is important in your kingdom, well, that kingdom work is important to me. The fact that a number of folks are going to Belize, and they're going to be a blessing, and they're going to give of themselves, and they're going to represent us, that's important to God, that therefore is important to me. So I want us to take a look at a scripture uh, that comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it's where Paul is really affirming the church. And you've got to know, this was, this was a worldly community, Corinth, and it, and it was inundated by the effects of the world and the influence of the world and so to be the church, they had to seriously separate themselves in terms of their beliefs, in terms of their behavior. We're going to pick up with verse 6, and it's in your bullets, and I'm going to read to verse 9. And Paul is writing the church at Corinth, and he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all blessings, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And he quotes, and as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Verse 10 now he who supplies seed, God, to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity is an act of praise, an act of gratitude toward God. Verse 12, 
the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. You see, the purpose of this chapter in the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians is Paul is, is talking about giving to the saints in Jerusalem. And he's saying, you once were giving to the saints, and I want to encourage you to be a partner with them as you give to a greater cause than yourself. And I've been bragging about your generosity from then until even now. And he uses an agrarian image, a farming image. And he says, if you will take the seed that is provided by you and you sow the seed in a plentiful way onto the ground, you will, you will harvest a great reward. There will be a bountiful return. But if you are stingy, if you are one who withholds a portion of the seed, then you are one who will get little return on what is a little bit of investment. And so sow abundantly, and so will be your return. Sow sparingly, and so will be the result. And he uses that image think to help contextualize the message for those that are there. And one of the things that comes out of this particular passage is a question for us. What contribution do you want to make? Will it be bountiful? Will it be generous? You know, the recipient of a grace kind of knows what we've put into it. I mean, guys, when you think about this, when you buy flowers for that special someone or candy, you can wait two or three days after Valentine's Day and get a great deal. You really can. But the problem is the flowers will look dried and wilted, and the candy will probably have half price on the bottom. And the recipient knows what you've put into it, how you have sown, and the spirit of how you've sown. So the question for us today is, do we really want to be among those that are making a difference through the work of the church? Because there is a bountiful harvest that is available for us as a church if we are generous. The scripture helps us with this in verse 6. Remember, whoever sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But oh, the power that comes in contributing. I was asking uh, someone in the church recently, hey, you transitioned from one job to another. How would you compare those two? And he said this, and I liked it. He said, in this one, I feel like I'm really making a difference. I feel like I'm actually contributing to a greater good. Whereas in the other one, I felt like I was going through the motions. 
Gang, we have the opportunity as we commit ourselves to really make a difference, to be generous. And I don't know about you, but I tend to follow things that I'm invested in. I mean, take the stock market, for example. If you invest in a particular stock, Apple, say, or GM, GE, if you buy stock in a certain company, you're more interested in it because you're vested in it. And so if there's, a, if there's something on MSNBC that's, that's going across the ticket, you, you want to look for that. If you see an article, a headline that says something about the company that you've invested in, you are interested. So it is that when we give of ourselves generously to the work of Jesus Christ, we are vested, we're, we're interested in how God is moving and what he's doing and being a part of that. So the question is, what contribution do you want to make as we move towards 2018. The second question is, what is my attitude in my giving? Verse 7, Paul says, Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We've heard that a lot. But I think the bottom line is, what is your attitude toward giving? I mean, you could give that special someone flowers and they may be fresh and the candy may be fresh, but you may do it in such a way that you're like, here, hope you like it. I mean, I had to get out my wallet for that. That really cost me, and I was running late to get here to get those. Sometimes I think we approach the church that way. It's kind of begrudgingly that we give. And yet the Lord would rather, I think, rather us not give unless we have a joyful heart. Gang, we have an opportunity to joyfully Make a sacrifice. You know, when you make a sacrifice for someone you love, it, it, there's a holiness to that. That's, there's something special. And you really pay the price. There's a lot of motivations for our giving. I mean, one may be out of duty. i got to share with you, I pay taxes out of duty. I don't do it out of love. I mean, I love my country. And I'm American and proud to be an American, but I do it begrudgingly. And, and then another motivation may be that we give out of self-satisfaction. It makes us feel good inside. And that might carry us a while. And that may be an okay thing. But it can't be the core motivation. Or another may be prestige. Or, or drawing attention to ourselves. I am so glad that Martha Bowman is not a plaque church. You know what I'm talking about? Where there are plaques everywhere saying, this room was given and dedicated 
because of Tim Stuckey. I, I am so glad. I mean, that's fine for other churches. I'm just glad we have a no-plaque theory. Sounds like a dentist office, doesn't it? A no-plaque policy. Um, and I think that's important because we want God to be the recipient of the glory. And then when you're in a love relationship, that's really the basis of our giving. Lord Jesus, you've been so good to me. But more than that, I love you and I want to return to you this gift of praise. Because it really does all belong to the Lord. It's kind of like one guy, I know he has uh, two kids and the two kids came to him and said, hey, Dad, we want to borrow $20 from you so that we can get you a birthday gift. Isn't that great? But I, I think theologically that works. That it really all belongs to God in the first place. And we're simply responding to his grace. Another question would be, are you ready to do something with your sacrifice? Am I ready to do something special with my sacrifice? Verse 10 says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. God is calling us to partner with him. And you know, my need to give sacrificially is greater than the church's need to receive the Lord will provide and we have a budget and we want to knock out some things with this revisioning strong finishing strong but you know what's even more important is my need to give why was tithing even established? Well, you know, in biblical times, there were portions, sections, windows of time where all they had to go on was the law of Moses. And God wanted his people to put him first. And so one of the reasons why tithing was put in place, yes, was to supply the needs of the temple but it also was a means of surrendering and making Christ first, making God first in my sacrifice. There really is something to this sowing and reaping. And the Lord gives us a word picture in the planting of seeds and the return of a great harvest. And I believe that that's a physical law. 
that if a seed is planted in soil and it is fertilized and has adequate moisture and the climate is right, it will grow. And I really believe, while I don't fully understand, that as I am generous, God bountifully blesses me. One is it comes out of obedience, and when I am obedient unto the Lord, I find that my joy level is elevated. When I am more pleasing unto the Lord, I find His pleasure. But the other is there is a return. I don't fully understand it, but it has been the case for me. Kind of like the woman who was uh, on staff with us in Albany, Georgia. And Miss Fay worked in the nursery. And it, it was uh, toward the end of the year, and Miss Fay had very little means. Very little means. She lived in a dilapidated uh, trailer at the edge of the county, and her husband had some dementia. She would bring him to help, mainly just to have him sit, while, while she worked with the kids and the other assistants and volunteers helped. And one particular Sunday morning, she came up to Delia and said, Delia, I want to give $100. I've not been able to give much back to the church, and I want to get back to tithing, and so I'm going to give this $100. Will you make sure it's in the plate? And Delia said, I will. And Delia put it in an envelope and placed it in the offering plate. That afternoon, some young mothers came to Delia. Delia was kind of uh, of a go-between and said, look, this is out of the blue. That same afternoon, we want to do something special for Miss Faye. And so we've collected $200. Will you give that to her? See, I'm absolutely convinced that we cannot outgive God His shovel is always bigger than ours. I remember when we were uh, coming out of seminary and we had student debt. And Dewey and I were trying to knock that out as fast as we could. And and then we started thinking, how in the world are we going to pay for our own kids' college? You ever had that feeling? And uh, yes, I heard that. And, and yet we felt that God was calling us to tithe. And we put a little bit away for college, but not a whole lot. And there were days where we thought, tithing, does it really make sense? Well, 11 years ago, my mother was diagnosed with cancer. And... She, uh, she had a lot of struggles in her life. She had a lot of fears in her life. She was a follower of Jesus, uh, but she was plagued with some demons. And one of them was men. She, even though she loved my dad, she always thought because of her broken childhood that my dad would leave her. And so it was a very unfortunate thing she would squirrel away money. 
is an emergency account. Just in case, my dad, who's one of the most godly men I know, but just in case, my dad were to leave her. Sad, isn't it? Someone would live with that kind of fear. So hospice came in, and she was in her final days, and my dad said, Tim, your mother handles the finances, and I see an interest deposit every month, and I don't know what this is. And I said, well, let's go to the bank and find out. And we sat down with the bank officer, and the bank officer said, uh, Mr. Stephan, my dad, your name is on the account, and so I can talk to you about this. Your wife, over the last 10 years, has um, saved $60,000. And it's in a CD. Now, you've got to know, my mom and dad didn't have a lot. And on her deathbed, she said, I guess you found out about the money. She said, I want you to use that for the kids' education. You see, God had outwitted me. Where I thought he was going to come up short, he came up big. I'm going to call on Whit Gaither, who's one of the co-chairs of our revisioning. And as he comes and explains some things, let me just say this. Gang, the last three years, we have loaded the bases. We have loaded the bases. Let's go to a sports analogy again. And we're at bat. We only have about 94,000 in debt. We want to do some things in here to make it more hospitable. We want to get covering for inclement weather so that senior adults and mamas, those pushing walkers and those pushing strollers, can get out of the rain to get in the building. And we need to take care of some things that are going to go bad on us. And we have a chance to drive it home. A grand slam. A sacrifice of love. 